The Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast features people from the real estate community sharing real stories about their struggles, pains, and even losses during their own real estate journey. We share these real experiences so you can learn from them and build a successful journey of your own. Now, here's your host, Cody Lewis, one of the managing partners at Vindu Capital, located in Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have you all back, but I'm even more excited for our special guest today, he is the Director of Investment Management at Real Growth Capital, Mr. Scott Stamp. Scott, how are you, sir? Doing well, Cody. Thank you for having me today. Absolutely. Listen, the pleasure's all mine. For those playing along at home, if you really want to know some, peel back the curtain here or peel back the onion, whatever the saying is, Scott and I and, and my partner, Jackson, we all, we all work together. We collaborate together a whole bunch. So we're super excited to have Scott on today. We're uh, very honored to have you on. I know you've got a lot of stuff going on, very busy, but Super excited to finally have you on the show talking about some of the stuff that you've already shared with us and, and educated us on. So can't thank you enough for joining us. For those that maybe haven't had a chance to work with you, find you on the interwebs, would love to get your origin story. And we'd love to start out with where you're from, how you got into real estate and what you find yourself doing these days. Good deal. Thanks again. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of the, the podcast, by the way. I've learned a lot from uh, other people's mistakes, I like to say. And uh, so... Don't want to repeat those, but uh, again, keep, keep up the good work there. Thank you, sir. Uh, for, for me, I am uh, originally from Georgia. I've been in South Carolina now for about 20 years uh, here in Charleston, as you know. My career started in banking. I was a banker for a little over 12 years there. I was on the, you know, the, the corporate tracks. A lot of us were, probably a lot of people listen to this podcast potentially. I had uh, gone back to school, got my MBA, was on the track to try to become an executive at the bank, the the whole thing. That was that was the long-term goal, right? And you know, that life didn't work out that way. Thank goodness. It's, uh, it, we actually started doing our buying, purchasing REO, real estate owned from the banks back in the recession. That's how I got started. Like a lot of people did back then. You know, you we'd actually go to the banks and look at their their sheets and see, oh, we've taken in these properties this week. Kind of a bizarre time. I hope that never comes back, frankly. It right. was too much inventory back then. Don't have that problem now, of course. It gave me a you know different perspective to start out with. Those were typically, you know, single family homes. You, you didn't, unless you were going directly to the bank and had a contact, you didn't have a lot of due diligence that you could even do. I mean, courthouse steps, there was practically none. You could drive by the house. And so that's how I started the business is they're, they're really, you're buying properties so low. And I think I bought one for $36,000 one time. You can believe that a house, a whole house, not a half house. <laughs> but, uh, it's uh, so again, a really unique time to, to jump into real estate. From there, I became a full-time investor in 2014 and transitioned out of the bank at that time. As I mentioned, had just, the, again, was become a typical story for a lot of folks, bank merged another bank and my position was kind of evaporated, you know, so, but it was a good thing for me overall. Glad it happened. Been having a great time being an entrepreneur, my own business for the past you know eight years now. So I've done a lot, a lot of different deals, single family homes. I'm in new construction homes, still do those. We uh, own a commercial shopping center in uh, Bluffton, South Carolina, and still do some development, typically small development. And I uh, also have our other company, Real Growth Capital, which started in 2018. And that is uh, much like you guys, multifamily group. We purchase and manage 
multifamily properties, mainly in the Southeast. So that's, that's really the focus. Uh, the main focus for me now is real growth capital and multifamily. But I am glad to be on the show because I want to want to share a story actually that's more about on the single family side today and about building your team and how I didn't do that properly at first and how it may have helped me. So if you like it, we'll go, we'll start there. And no, and, yeah, um, no, I think that's story. a good enough spot as ever. Let's jump right in because I think we've had some folks on the show and I, and I feel like a lot of people dip their toe in the water on the single family side. And we, I, I know from talking to some of the people that listen to the show that they're still on the single family side. So as we, as I told you coming on and I'll remind our guests, you know, we're a real estate podcast and show for those watching on YouTube. We don't, while our group and it, and I know your group now focuses on multifamily and we do a little bit in the industrial space as well. The, the, the purpose of the show is just a wide net across all real estate. Cause I don't want to pigeonhole us into one asset class when there are so many compelling stories that you can learn from and take from different areas of focus and apply it to whatever you're doing in real estate. So, you know, I, I love the concept and I know we talked about it beforehand, but go ahead and uh, open up with a story. I know the, the audience will like this one. <laughs> okay, great. And again, I think this will apply to anyone in, in multifamily or development or single family, because it's all about, you know, who, who do you surround yourself with? You're trying to find good team members, that sort of thing. So I, I purchased a lot, a single family lot, this is back in 2019. And I was going to build a house in that lot. That's just kind of a, one of our typical things we do, build a, a home, speculation home, they call it spec home, sell that home in the open market. So we figured out the lot was subdividable, they call it. It was large enough to subdivide. So we went through that process, through the county, subdivided the lot. Everything went great. Built two homes on the lot and we're I actually had one contract on one of the homes and the second home was still under construction at the end. And I got a call from the county one day, County of Charleston. They said, well, you know, you've got some restrictions on these lots. I said, no, I don't think so. It's not at no HOA, no homeowner association, no covenants and restrictions were discovered upon due diligence, you know, by the attorney. And sure enough, I was wrong. And <laughs> there were covenants and restrictions. They were very old. It's one of them was you can't have cows on your property. So that gives you an idea how old this was. Yeah. Yeah. Good to uh, note. Okay. Check. Yeah. No good, cows. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> lots of different things, setbacks and fence requirements. But one of those was you can't subdivide these lots. So I had broken the covenant clear as day, you know, didn't really know what to do. I actually teamed up with a, a very nice neighbor by the name of Alan. Well, that's not his real name, but I don't want to give him away, but great guy. Everybody knows him. One of those guys. So we decided we'd go around the neighborhood. We're going to go out. We're going to talk to everyone, tell them what happened, and explain the situation. Well, we did that over three weekends and talked to almost every person and explained our story, thought it went pretty well. None of the homeowners had any idea that these covenants even existed, but it didn't go so well. So they ended up, they ended up hiring an attorney and you know trying to basically use this against me. And the, and the irony of the story was that almost every single homeowner was breaking the covenants and restrictions themselves. Of course. So, again, going back to team members, I'm going to keep jumping back there. Team members, what do I do? Call the attorney I close with, right? The closing attorney. Mm -hmm. Not a great firm here in town. Again, I'll name any names, but they, they're a large attorney firm, do great work. 
And they said, frankly, we just missed this. It's too far back. We don't go that far back. You don't usually need to. So they referred me to somebody else, you know, another attorney, another team member I didn't have. So I wish I'd had this person. First attorney did not work out well. They really went in too strong, too hard with the, with the homeowners. It was a small group and it didn't work out. So I had to fire that attorney and get another one. So this became, he became a great friend attorney, now a great team, team member. And he said, no, Scott, you're going to have to just deal with this. Basically, you've got to, you've got to talk to the homeowners, you know, probably pay them some money, that sort of thing. Cause yeah, I felt like I was in the right. I didn't know about this, that sort of thing. But, you know, again, having a good, good, uh, consultative attorney, I guess you could say, he really told me what I needed to do. So in the meantime, you know, here, here we are to figure out what to do. I've got, I've got a realtor, another team member, right? Again, this was one I did. I did the right way. She, she is a wonderful realtor. I've known her a long time and uh, has a military background, knows how to deal with problems, very organized. And she, she was able to keep the deal together with the homeowner that was had under contract at the time. So that, and this family, they needed to move. They'd already sold their house. They really needed to move. So just uh, for kind of went on for uh, at least a few months. And lo and behold, we through the, the new attorney, the realtor, we struck a deal with the homeowners and was able to do it you know, without going to mediation or court or anything like that. And uh, actually the, the original closing attorney came in and, and helped me share the, the final bills, which I thought was really stand up to them. So. Yeah. I think a lot of us and what I'm unpacking in my brain as you're talking, I think a lot of us think of team members as maybe our partner, our business partner that we have some sort of contractual mm-hmm. agreement with and that sort of thing. What I don't think we always think of our team members as kind of those adjacent team members that help us do business, you know, CPAs, attorneys, real estate agents, brokers, you have, you know, debt, debt funder, debt service people at banks or private lending or whatever. Having these relationships is crucial to making your business successful. And I, and I think at least that's what I'm hearing in your story is the relationships that you've built and understanding and trust that you have with these individuals as a kind of ancillary team members to your your inner core team it is crucial to making sure you're successful in what you were doing because they, they did there was a mistaken one and hey it happens but mm-hmm. you got to have the right people in the right place to help you fix those mistakes is what at least is oh, circulating yeah. in my head mm-hmm. I, absolutely yeah again a few other team members you mentioned like cpa that's a that's a huge one because you know you want to run everything pretty much by the, you know, how's this going to affect me for taxes? That sort of thing. Another one in this instance and, and others is the builder or the contractor. Mm-hmm. You could have both in the situation. Again, those relationships and I had to go back to unsuccess stories. I've definitely been through a few contractors, been through a few builders and now have a core group of guys that are, you know, trusted long-term relationships with those guys we still have contracts of course we build but we we know each other operates situations like this arise we were able to you know 
put the build on hold for a second, deal with the county, the permitting, all that stuff that's going on in the background that is really difficult for an investor to handle, you know, on their own. So you have the builder handle a lot of that, the contractor. One thing I've done is in the past with these, with contractors, I know this comes up with a lot of people is even if you're doing uh, business with subcontractors, and this is to help avoid mistakes is have a contract with each one of those guys. We don't all do that because we don't always contract each person ourselves. Right. But if you do, I have a simple you know, two-pager form that explains what each of us do, what happens, how liens work, that sort of thing. You know, Again, not as prevalent in the multifamily world, but certainly in the, in the single-family contractor, even a contractor for multifamily, same thing. You want to make sure you've got a, something solid in writing to prevent something down the road that just becomes ambiguous. That, that's about the worst place you can be when he said, she said, or whatever, you know. Which goes back to part of your original team members is I'm sure there was an attorney involved that drew up that contract that helped you put it in mm-hmm. place or said, hey, if you're dealing with this, these types of individuals, it's probably going to be to your benefit to have some sort of agreement in place to protect you and them and everyone's kind of playing in the same sandbox. So it goes back to the idea of a team member and listen, being married to a lawyer, I'll give all the, all of the lawyers out there, the good ones, right there. I think there's definitely some good ones. There's some ones that put a bad taste in your mouth, but for the most part, all of them, a lot of them are really good and they work really hard and they do some really great work. A lot of them are overworked, but being married to one, I know there's a lot that goes into it and, and they do look out for our best interests. And, but there's always a balancing act between the entrepreneur who's a little bit more okay with taking on some risk where a lawyer tries to balance the, the other side and is a little bit more risk averse. So you find a happy medium to go mm, and attack yeah. different game plans and strategies. Oh, absolutely. And the, the attorney, again, having that, that person on your side, you know, they don't have to write up every single contract for everything. Like you said, you write up one, use it over and over again, maybe run it by them every year or so to make sure it's relevant, current, up to date. Because I think a lot of people, they they tend to shy away from that or use, you know, maybe an online service, which can be fine, but it's not always the best idea, especially on a complicated builder type contract. Uh, then you you want to make sure you've got something that that really works when, you know, something happens. This thing's got to stand up because that's that's when it matters. Right. Well, and I'll, I'll say this because I think I'm obligated, as I mentioned, being married to one. The online services, they can be great for certain things. When you're getting into something really complicated with business and doing that sort of thing, I would advocate that having a local lawyer that not only knows the local laws, but also has local relationships with either other attorneys that specialize in different aspects of the law that you may need, as in your case, get a closing attorney, and then you had to have a, a litigating attorney to help you go and, mm-hmm. and do different things. Um, they have those relationships and whether it's in their firm or adjacent to them, they can refer you, but they also, a lot of times, especially in the litigation side or even just um, outside of the kind of contract work, they have relationships with local judges and, and other aspects on the legal profession that can help or aid you with those types of things. And they understand how the inner workings work in your local town, state, city, whatever. So I would advocate if you're doing that and to your point, Scott, you know, you may only have to connect with them every couple, you know, couple of times a year to update Mm -hmm. a document or, Hey, tweak this for me. I got a very specific use case. 
but it's it's worth their weight in gold to have that local presence here for that kind of stuff. At least yeah, in my yeah. opinion. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's it, there's there's so, so many things you're gonna you're gonna need help with that you don't even know about now. You know, <laughs> we don't know about mm-hmm. neither one of us. Yep. So I was gonna mention too title insurance. Now mm. in, th- in this specific case, I didn't need to use that, but it's it's important to to note how that would have worked here. And if I'm saying something wrong, maybe correct me a bit. No, um, I think actually, I, I was yeah. thinking title insurance when you were telling the story. I was like, mm-hmm. man, I wonder if title insurance would have actually kicked in here. Cause you know, but anyway, go ahead. I think it would have. And by the way, I've used title insurance. I've had two claims that have paid out. So I'm a big fan of title insurance of, of issues that were just completely unknown. One was a relative that came out of the woodwork, you know, to make a claim. The other was, I think an easement on a property that wasn't recorded properly. And both the times the title insurance paid. But in this case, I had a ha- I had two houses on this property. So let's assume that, you know, I had to take one house down or something that didn't happen. Thank goodness. But title insurance, my understanding is it typically only pays on the price of what you bought the land for. So new development, that's a bit a much bigger deal, right? Than buying an existing home. Right. So if, with the new new development, you've just got whatever the lot costs. With the house, I'm assuming they they, they cover, you know, the, the structure too. I believe. That's so in this the case, way I understand yeah. it. That's mm-hmm. the way I understand it. I would definitely defer to your attorney wherever you're you mm-hmm. are listening. Defer to your attorney. That's the under the way I understand it, though, Scott. Yeah. Again, but do do defer uh, to your own own attorney. And also there's different title insurance companies too, with different policies. Mm-hmm. And the attorneys typically, a lot of times they're actually partnered with those companies typically. And so they know the policies inside and out. So you can ask them, say, maybe I should get some extra coverage on this or, or something like that. But super important tip. I, I kind of always had that as a, a backstop in this one, but it, it would have been not nearly enough. I had to take down an entire house that was sitting there. <laughs> as you can yeah. imagine. Well, I mean, just circling all the way back to the thing, the the importance of having that that greater group of, of team members that sometimes we don't always mm-hmm. think about as team members, having a good closing and real estate attorney on hand to help you with things like this, as well as the the rest of the ancillary team that is helping you grow and, and do your business. So, Scott, I, that's probably as good enough spot as ever for us to wrap up. I think that's an incredibly compelling story and a very valuable lessons and a bunch of things that hopefully people heard in there that they can take away from this. And if they don't have a great closing attorney or real estate attorney they're working with today, I would highly recommend finding one and getting, getting to know them and having them understand what your strategy and business plan is in the future, as well as your CPA, your real estate agents, your brokers, everyone that's involved with that kind of stuff. So uh, Scott, Thank you again for coming on. For those that maybe are listening to you and they want to work with you, they want to learn from you, they want to connect with you, where's the best place folks can find you at? Yeah, so uh, Real Growth Capital. Try to see that back here. So realgrowthcapital.com. That's our website. I'm just Scott at realgrowthcapital.com. Pretty active on LinkedIn. That's probably one of our main social feeds we do nowadays. So either one of those, I would love to connect with you guys. It'd be great. Thanks again for having me, Cody.
Yeah, absolutely. And folks, we're going to drop all those links in the show notes for everyone to just quickly access them. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks everyone for watching at home. And Scott, thanks again for joining us. We'll see everyone next time. You've been listening to the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast with Cody Lewis. Be sure to subscribe today on your favorite podcasting platform so you can catch every episode of the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast.